hormone health is so important and yet it's so controversial and most women are terrified of hormones and really think estrogen is basically a bad thing and this term estrogen dominance has dominated the airways well you know the big deal is that most of us are going to live longer many of us are going to be centenarians now but how are we going to live in the last part of our lives and most of us will be in menopause one third of our lives a big part of anti-aging, really having vitamin A or resilience, that you're strong, that you keep your mind strong, your energy strong, your muscles strong, a big part of that comes from a place in your brain called the hippocampus. And hippocampal volume dictates a lot of who you are. Girl, you've got questions questions about your body and how to feel good in it, about your hormones and how to keep them in check, questions about your sex life and your whole health. Can you imagine having a best girlfriend who was also a triple board certified OBGYN, a girlfriend doctor you could call and ask or tell her anything, someone who could show you how to live any stage of life before, during, or after menopause in a big, bold, and beautiful way. Well, friends, I'm your girlfriend doctor. I believe you are meant to flourish and shine, to embrace life and awaken to all its possibilities. Let's get there together. Welcome to our show. Well, hello, everyone. Today, we're going to be talking hormones with Dr. Davicki Berkson, who is in Austin, Texas. I am here in Dallas, Texas, and I'm really excited to be talking about all things hormones, really clarifying the misconceptions and the misinterpretations of the uh, Women's Health Initiative trial. Now we are 20 years later. Welcome, Dr. Davicki Berkson. Thanks for having me on. One, it's always great because I appreciate your work and your products and what you are doing in the world. And it's always great to get an opportunity to talk to women about hormones because this is the most controversial space and confusing space in medicine today. And that is so true. Even the reported experts in hormone therapy are reluctant to talk about, you know, hormone therapy beyond estrogen replacement, beyond vasomotor symptoms of menopause. And I want to really dig into that. In my Girlfriend Doctor show, we have touched on this a few different times. We've talked about it with myself, rifting on hormones many, many times in master classes with other hormone experts, with Dr. Learen Keneally and Dr. Sarah Gottfried and and other other leaders in the in the hormone space and and Dr. Sean Sean Tassone so many so many times this is really important to bring to light your expertise and what you are doing in this area and and first i want you to share a little bit about your backstory what brought you to be such a hormone advocate you know, it's really funny. I was just lecturing this weekend in Chicago and it was everything hormones. And there were about 20 OBGYN docs in the audience. There were a hundred doctors there and none of them had heard of the reanalysis of the women's health initiative, not one. So I'm, I can't wait to get into this. 
I really, I did a rotation in integrative medicine with Dr. Jonathan Wright in 1977. I have been in practice one way or another for 52 years. What? And yes, I'm going to be 75 in a few months. Oh and my gosh. All right. We all want your secrets. It's uh -huh. hormones along with a tapestry of interventional positive things. But Dr. Wright has now been thought of as the father of bioidentical hormones. So he was always talking that hormones were the most powerful signaling molecules in the body. If you want to stay well, you need to understand where a patient's hormones are at. And at the same time, he really cared a lot about the gut health. So he had a Heidelberg gastric analysis machine where you can actually test what we call parietal cell efficacy. Like, do you make stomach acid? Do you make enough? Because hormones lean on nutrients. Uh, there's a tapestry of events. It's not really just measuring the level of a hormone and debating whether it's better to measure it with saliva or blood or urine. It's really if the hormone can signal and dock into its receptor, which requires digestion and nutrition. So from very early on, I had an emphasis on the gut and on hormones, and then I wrote one of the first breakthrough books on endocrine disruption called Hormone Deception, and it was a big breakthrough book in a three-month period. It exploded about endocrine disruption in three months. Our stolen future hormonal chaos in my book, Hormone Deception, were published, and based on that book... I was invited to go to an estrogen think tank and be a distinguished estrogen scholar. And at Tulane Med School, under John McLaughlin as my mentor there, I got to work with the scientists who discovered the first estrogen receptors, Elwood Jensen and Yanaki Gustafson. Interestingly enough, they would talk a lot about the importance of nutrition and hormone signaling. So my whole career has been about hormones. And then I have a personal life story, which I don't think we have time to go into because my own life was ruined and saved by hormones. But nonetheless, hormone health is so important and yet it's so controversial. And most women are terrified of hormones and really think estrogen is basically a bad thing. And this term estrogen dominance has dominated the airways. And I would love the ability to have a conversation to kind of clear some of this up. I think clearing up the misinformation around the Women's Health Initiative study, the, I would say the misogyny, the misogynistic talk about estrogen and, you know, that estrogen is bad for us and, and really leaving out other really important hormones, DHEA, which is in my Jolva cream. Love your Jolva cream. Love it. Love it. Thank you. Thank you. And progesterone, right? It's not more, it's more of a progesterone deficiency versus an estrogen dominance. Well, you know, the big deal is that most of us are going to live longer. Many of us are going to be centenarians now. But how are we going to live in the last part of our lives? And most of us will be in menopause one third of our lives. A big part of anti-aging, really having vitamin A or resilience, that you're strong, that you keep your mind strong, your energy strong, your muscles strong, a big part of that comes from a place in your brain called the hippocampus. And hippocampal volume dictates a lot of who you are. 
The hippocampus is the place in your brain where memories are made and consolidated, where emotions are consolidated, motivation is revved up. It's in essence, the physiologic analogy of your soul. That's where we live. And most of us, as we age, have hippocampal shrinkage. That's actually a term. And in fact, Yale published a huge study called the MedX study, where they tried to see if extensive meditation and exercise while tracking the volume of the hippocampus, would it revolumize? Would exercise and meditation help keep your hippocampus strong? Because that's where you deaccelerate aging. And none of that worked. Extensive exercise, extensive meditation, as good as they are, did not preserve hippocampal volume. But if a woman goes on hormone replacement, if a man goes on hormone replacement, from extensive studies, now 20 years old from McGill University by Catherine Lundford and greatly replicated, within a short period of time of hormone replacement, even a hippocampal volume that has shrunk with normal aging, it can be revolumized and frailty symptoms can be reversed. This is huge. Nothing helps keep the hippocampus strong and revolumized like balanced hormones. That's so true. So let's talk about this. In 2002, I was in practice. I graduated a few years earlier from Emory University, Department of OBGYN, and I felt like I knew everything, right? We were, we've got the prescription pad out, got my surgical knife out, right? Surgery schedule at the hospital, all this good stuff. And then, you know, the Women's Health Initiative study drops in 2002 saying, wait, what we believed was true was not true. And I was like, this doesn't make clinical sense. And I was a researcher before I went to med school. So I was digging into the research and I wrote my own analysis of the Women's Health Initiative study in 2002 based on the real numbers. However, now we have 20 year later later, you know, the reanalysis of the Women's Health Initiative study. So let's talk about that because there was so much misinformation. Women around the country were taken off their hormones, were scared to death. Physicians were scared to death to prescribe them. Number right, one, right, because Wyeth got successfully sued. So everybody was afraid of the litigious atmosphere around absolutely. them. Right. Well, you know, it, it's crazy. I just heard a interview by Peter Atia of Dr. Manson, who was the past president of North American Menopause Society, and she was on the committee that reanalyzed that data. And she never discussed the reanalysis. And within months of the Women's Health Initiative coming out, Leon Spiroff, who wrote the book that everybody was weaned on in gynecology, he said, don't listen to this because this is just one randomized trial with years of clinical data showing the opposite. In Europe, they didn't stop using hormones. But what happened was now uh, about 19 years, well, first in 2018, Hudis published a study showing that the methodology of the Women's Health Initiative was completely flawed because in the placebo arm, they forgot to control for women ever having been on estrogen therapy. And since estrogen has now been shown to protect against breast cancer, it made the incidence look lower in the control group. So it made it look higher in the experimental group. But the reanalysis, which came out in JAMA in 2020, clearly showed the reanalysis, which did not make headline news. If a woman had been on estrogen therapy, in this case, it was conjugated equine estrogen, horses, estrogen, or Premarin, for at least five years, she had a 23% decreased incidence of getting 
breast cancer. Mm. If you're on hormones or have been on hormones for five years and you unfortunately get breast cancer, you're in a better position for it. You have a decreased fatality incidence, meaning you're less apt to die. You have a decreased fatality incidence of 44%. Hormones reduce the risk of breast cancer. And not only that, they reduce your risk of dying from it if you do get it. And there's a new study coming down the pike that was, now it's not out of peer review examination yet. It's in the Yale and British Medical Journal preprint, you know, before something's been completely accepted in a peer review, but it's from our NIH and our National Library of Medicine. And it came out in May and they looked at seven and a half million Medicare women in the United States, the biggest study ever run, took a look at who was on hormones. 1.5 million women, older women, older women, 65 years and older, they were all Medicare patients. And they took a look at which way they took hormones in. They looked at five cancers, longevity and neurodegenerative diseases. Women taking estrogen live 20% longer. They had decreased incidence of the five cancers they looked at, breast, ovarian, uterine, colorectal, and lung. They had less of all the cognitive decline issues they had less heart disease unless they took estrogen orally, then there was a slight increased risk of ischemic stroke. This is the largest study ever run, once again, showing hormones protect against cancer. They do not drive it, but it's about balanced hormones. But women have been made frightened of hormones and too many women are missing out. And the big point is socialized countries really track what's going on with their citizens because they pay for all their medical care. Mm -hmm. And in almost 20 countries now, starting with Finland, almost 20 years ago, they give a woman the option of having hormones for free. In Finland, Iceland, Norway, Greenland, um, Italy, Britain joined last year, France, they offer hormones for free because they see that women on hormones get ill less and cost the country less. And I, here we are in the United States in 2023, and in med schools, osteopathic schools, naturopathic schools, we're not really teaching that hormones are safe or, or drive longevity or keep people out of nursing homes and cost Medicare less. So it's a conundrum of why we have this bias in the United States against hormones. Why do you think we do have that bias? Like, and why is the NAMS, the North American Menopause Society, still hemming and hawing about it? I have been, I ponder this when I put my head on the pillow at night and when I wake up in the morning, cause I'm so astounded by it. There's all these misinformation out there that there's no such thing as a bioidentical hormone. They paralyze your receptors, all this wrong information. And then NAMS mainly focuses on the lowest dose for the shortest period of time for hot flashes and noxious, noxious symptoms when that hippocampal volume mainly stays protected when you find your best dose of estrogen. I don't know what this is about. I don't know whether that article in preprint is not going to come out because it did bad mouth oral estrogen and the only oral bioidentical hormone that the FDA has approved is called Bejuve and it's oral. I don't really know if it comes down to money, if it comes, 
I cannot figure out why we with we would withhold such a protective and anti-aging tool with so much science on it now, replicated science of its protection and benefit. Uh, I it astounds me, and I would not be who I am today. So I had breast cancer 30 years ago. I also did an analysis of the Women's Health Initiative when it came out and I published a book on it called Safe Hormones, Smart Women, because I wanted to go on hormones, even though I'd had breast cancer. Mm -hmm. So I've now been on hormone replacement for 27 years after I've had breast cancer. And I'm running all over the country lecturing and teaching and on airplanes and working one week a month in Florida, when most of my peers are shuffling and having all, you know, hip replacements and all kinds of infirmities. But ever since the women's reanalysis, I was then felt like I could increase my dosage to the point where the silent benefits, such as the volume of the hippocampus is increased. And boy, I'm now able to really be a vital citizen, you know, long into my time of life when a lot of other people are truly waning. Why would this bias exist, Dr. Anna? What do you think? You know, I mean, I really don't want to be hypercritical or conspiracy theorist at all, but it is pharma. I mean, it is the control because if we can't, if right now we have the ability to compound hormones and that is always being threatened by big pharma right. and the FDA. And so there's monetary drive behind that. Like our ability to compound hormones or customize a woman's hormones outside of what is available on a prescription through a prescription drug, it's critical to our ability to be good physicians, to be, you know, humane physicians and to really customize and practice the art of medicine along with the science of medicine. So I think that compounders, compounding pharmacies have really been under the gun to, to do this safely. And they're always more cost effective in my experience than the prescription arms, but there are prescription bioidenticals. So when we talk about estradiol as a prescription, isn't that, well, they like to use the term body identical. I think that's new term that is being circulated in the uh, North American menopause society by NAMS and other physician groups is the body, body identical versus synthetic drugs. You know, I think you're right. It probably comes down to money because I went to a gerontologic symposium and it was all about how do we treat Alzheimer's and there wasn't one mention on hormones and hormones truly would probably, if many more women and gents were on hormone replacement, we would see less people end up in residential facilities with cognitive decline. And so they're seeking out the single pharmaceutical they're all they said is we don't have the drug yet. We don't have the drug yet when we actually have the hormones now, which can protect many people. It's been clear. There's even there's paper after paper coming out saying that hormones can be used in mild to moderate cognitive decline and also to prevent it. I mean, there's so much data building up, but what are we all looking for? The drug. We have been really um, like Pavlovian dogs, we're, we're just trying to find that drug when the natural answer is hormone balancing. And, you know, Leon Spiroff is, is the kind of the father of gynecology. And he's been saying to people, don't throw the hormonal baby out with the bathwater. And people didn't even listen to him. But I don't understand this bias. I guess it, it's hard to accept that it comes down to money. But when you look at the pandemic, I really, there were early interventions that 
often don't have long COVID associated with them. We're effective. We use them in our elderly demographic in Florida with great success. Nobody was hospitalized. And I never would have thought that even in a pandemic, people, it would all come down to money, but it did. So I guess people have to really that podcasts like this or shows like this are so important because they allow women to hear the information, the science, and then help make decisions that can protect their lives and their brains of themselves and their loved ones. Well, we want to get this information out and also dispel some of the confusion. So some of the things that I've really focused on too is the the difference between synthetic and bioidentical hormones, that there is a difference in the Women's Health Initiative study, the progestin arm, so the Provera arm in that study was the one that was associated with increased risk of breast cancer. And the fact that it's a progestin, a synthetic progestin, that really hurt the world of progesterone. And then also bioidentical progesterone has been used and studied extensively in Europe and in the United States, but specifically in Europe, and then looked at bioidentical progesterone for brain health, for bone health, for breast Breast health, health, with or without a uterus. What do you think about that? So, you know, they only talk about, I just heard Dr. Mason, you know, she said, if you don't have a uterus, you don't need progesterone. You have, wherever you have receptors, hormones are, are sending signals. Receptors are proteins in the shape of satellite dishes waiting for signals. You have progesterone receptors all over your lungs, for example. Mount Sinai did really um, emergent data in COVID. They, they realized that women get COVID more, but die less. And they think it had a lot to do with hormones. So they gave gentlemen on, they, they published the, the conclusion of the study. They injected hundred milligrams IM of progesterone twice a day and found that they healed faster and got out of the ICU quicker with severe COVID because you have progesterone receptors in the lungs and progesterone helps repair lung tissue. So in people with chronic lung issues, progesterone in both men and women is extremely helpful. And I don't understand why they don't want to talk about all the benefits unless it does come down to money or there's ignorance with the way that they look at it through their paradigm. It's extremely confusing to me. And bioidentical hormones, there's a big difference. I also heard her say that, you know, that, that when you reanalyze the data in older women who were on the combined hormones, they had an increased incidence of dementia, but the combined hormones was with progestin. So progestins were linked to an increased risk of dementia, not progesterone. And this makes many people very confused because we hear negative things, conclusions when it actually came from a synthetic version. And why do we have synthetic versions? So a company can alter a molecular structure patent that structure and make a profit for their company. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. And then they protect the competitive, the generic competition. But with compounding, we have always been able to use bioidentical hormones. And it's one of the reasons, especially in women with breast cancer, they have a fear about progesterone or if they've had surgery for breast cancer, endometrial cancer, they likely were deficient in progesterone to begin with, whether it's from stress, whether it's from toxins, whatever the situation may be. 
But it is one of the reasons too that I'm passionate about saying that we have progesterone receptors all over our body, vaginal tissue and our fascia, the aches and pains we get as we notice we get older. We want to make sure that we add back some progesterone, support our body's natural production first, right? I'm always about hormone replenishment not necessarily replacement. Let's support the, our body's ability to make as much as it can. Let's not shut down, shut that down. That's what birth control pills do. So we want to enhance our own body's ability to make hormones and, and a supplement as needed. So one of my products is my balance cream and I combined it is a cosmetic cream with progesterone and pregnenolone and tripeptide. So some skin beautifiers as well as the progesterone and pregnenolone. Because what I found early in practice when I started using progesterone to help patients who'd had a hysterectomy and maybe I was using it for sleep or memory, and they would come back and say, Dr. Ann, I feel like a cloud has lifted. And that really did help me understand the you know, science behind progesterone in the brain and how important it is with or without a uterus. And when it's transdermal, it is the safest way. But oral progesterones have progesterones, not progestins, have shown tremendous safety profiles as well. You know, what really drives me crazy since I had breast cancer, yeah. there have to be about 80 articles where they measured the level of progesterone in the blood before a woman goes in for some kind of breast surgery. And if a woman has at least four nanograms per deciliter, in other words, she's got some progesterone happening in her bloodstream, she dies less down the road and she has better outcomes from her breast cancer disease. This is replicated over and over and over again. You would think it would become practice to measure a woman's serum progesterone and make sure she had some on board before she went in for some kind of surgery. And this is so replicated that it's almost malpractice not to be doing this with a lady say, let's go run your blood and give you a little bit of progesterone before you go in for a breast interventional surgery, just to protect yourself down the road. So they only that say follow so the science good. when they want you to follow the science. But in the Women's Health Initiative, they looked at levels of cholesterol in women who lived to be 90 in it was on 26,000 women from 190,000. They finally tracked them down, down, down in five-year little groups till they got really old. And the women that had the highest level of total LDL cholesterol had less adverse heart events and lived the longest. But no, we still give elderly women statins and lower, lower, lower their cholesterol. So it's become apparent that we say, follow the science. But that's only if the science really supports the pharmaceutical conveyor belt, and it doesn't necessarily mean truly follow the science. But yet, if you talk like this, you become labeled a disseminator of misinformation when we're following the science. So people sit out there and become confused, and then they don't act in that fear, and they miss out, which is why conversations like this are so helpful, Dr. Anna. Thanks. So this is so important, Lindsay. So you as a breast cancer survivor, like a thriver, you know, like that was a diagnosis in the past, not of your present, right? And so when you look at that and, and you think of yourself with hormone therapy, tell us about your regimen. Tell us about what you're doing based on the science you know to be true and what works for you at 70, now at 75 years old, looking like you're in your 30s, feeling amazing and, you know, really being passionate about what you believe in. And I think that's what we all want to do as we 
as we age, as we live our life, is to be passionate about what we're doing, to really have a strong conviction for it, and to be able to show up the healthiest way that we can. Exactly. You know, you just start to figure life out. Just get a little hint of the mystery of what life is all about when you get in your sixth and seventh decade. And if you don't have hormone balancing on board, aging picks up a speed and it wallops you. You can actually deaccelerate that aging by having your hormones balanced, but everyone has their own individual hormonal footprint. So first of all, test maleness protects femaleness. So male signals at the cancer is growth out of control. Testosterone offers growth controlled signals at the breast by its final metabolite 3-beta-diol signaling the protective anti-cancer estrogen receptor ER-beta. And I got to work with Yanaki Gustafsson. He uh, discovered it at the Karolinska Institute, which was Sweden's version of Harvard. And then Ken Korsh's lab also discovered it. And I had to hang out with these guys. There's an estrogen receptor when it is signaled protects against cancer. Testosterone, when it's metabolized, signals that receptor. So part of my hormone replacement is having testosterone on board for that and a number of other things like keeping muscle mass because I don't want to get inevitable loss of muscle with aging because muscle also can deaccelerate aging. And then I now, it's been many years out, so I'm on biased on estradiol and estriol. Estriol also signals that growth controlled or anti-cancer estrogen receptor. And I also take progesterone. I take it vaginally and I take it orally. So I have two different delivery modes and I've designed two new products based on working with Elwa Jensen and Yanaki Gustafsson to be able to keep myself safe because everyone worries about taking hormones and getting cancer. Everybody does. Doctors worry about writing scripts for it and patients worry about it. So I put together two products based on spending almost 10 years at that think tank and working with these gentlemen and putting together botanical formulas that are growth controllers or protectors. So um, I had just, we hadn't talked about it, but you know, I'm not here to promote these products necessarily, but I take those products to keep my hormones safe. And the other thing that this is a little bit way out of your bailiwick. So I don't know if we want to get into it, but I was a DES daughter. So my mother was given the most powerful estrogen ever invented by mm -hmm. Sir Charles Dobbs, who also invented plastics. And many of the daughters born of those women got breast cancer at a very specific age, which is when I got it, couldn't have children. I couldn't have kids and had many, many tumors and problems. If you were exposed if your mom was given this in the first trimester, which my mom was, and we had the birth records. So um, I just kept growing tumors, even though I was doing everything right, I was getting wrong outcomes. And when I interviewed the researchers that did this original DES study, since I worked at Tulane, and many of those researchers were affiliated with Tulane, they theorized how this exposure in utero then caused all these cancers in the offspring like myself. And one of the ways they said it did it was by damaging our grandam tumor suppressor gene, P53. So I looked to see what would upregulate it, which is a metabolite of estrogen. And I also, to my, my hormone regime, I added this metabolite 
and it's a polysyllabic term. I'm not sure it's worth going yeah, into. Yeah, go it. ahead. No, and progesterone also upregulates P53. It does. It does. Progesterone is a power, and progesterone upregulates comp. I mean, progesterone is is truly Amazing. phenomenal. To think it is only something to protect your uterus from uh, proliferation when you're on estrogen is such a guttural, uh, such a first grade level perception of hormones 101. Well but said. so it's, you know, hormones are most powerful signaling molecules in the body. They, they deliver your email and you don't want your email to freeze up. That's what aging is your email freezing up. So I decided to go on about almost 20 years ago now to methoxyestradiol, to MEO, which actually had been studied in phase one and two trials as a medication, but it was altered to be patented and it, it did help intractable cases of breast and ovarian cancer, but it, it was difficult to swallow. So I went on my own bioidentical and have stayed on that now for almost 20 years. I've now put quite a large number of patients on it. I practice one week a month at Dr. Perlmutter's old clinic in Florida, and now all of the pharmacies around the clinic make 2-MEO available. I, I have cancer patients around the world where their doctors call me, and we work with it. We've, we've had some very exciting, absolutely clearing of some stage four cancers. Uh, wow. Nothing helps everything, but it's been really exciting. And I was the first person in the, in the world to be on bioidentical 2-MEO, kind of to save my life and help me stay well. And that stopped my tumor madness. Cause uh, so uh, that's my little story there. Uh, oh my gosh. There's so much more. I wish we had more time to talk and, and just the concept of DES. I'm, I've been looking at that research. Cause also we now know the French studied it to the third generation. Dave Kishi, they uh, looked at this third generation effects with increased infertility, increased organ malformation, gen, you know, reproductive organ malformation, as well as gender identity confusion is how they term exactly. it to the third, third generation. So there's about eight or nine cases now of ovarian cancer and eight, nine or 11 year old granddaughters because mm, exposure to endocrine heart. disrupting compounds is transgenerational. And the big debate we had at the estrogen think tank I was at. So Lou Gillette was the embryologist that first exposed this whole thing. He noticed in the polluted Lake Apopka that male alligators were developing eggs and they, their penises were getting small and female alligators were getting penises. And so this was, he went and testified in front of the Senate with Gore, and they tried to raise money so that we could test a lot of chemicals at the think tank to see which were assaulting our chemicals, our hormones or not. And he is famous for the line of looking at all of the people in the Senate and saying, no man in this room is half the man that his grandfather was. And wow. we're going to have gender bending coming down the road. But when they remediated Lake Apopka, when they cleaned up the pollution, the male alligators became male again. And the female alligators became female again. And so how much of all of this gender fluidity that we are seeing, how much of that is prenatal exposure to endocrine disruption? It's, it's very fascinating. My last book, Sexy Brain, was on the threat of environmental castration and what is it doing to us sexually? And it's toning us down. And nature wants us to have great intimacy because then we bathe our brain in hormones that keep us as good parents. Right. I think one of the things that I, I loved about your work and, and drew me to you originally was your work on oxytocin too. Being an oxytocin fan, it's the most powerful <laughs> hormone in our body. And it, it is so powerful. So I love the the tip on two methoxyestradiol. I think that's great. I do agree in bias, progesterone, testosterone. DHEA. And again, like 
can help. Yes, DHEA, I left that out. Way. Sorry, left that's that out. That's okay. That's okay. That's a biggie. <laughs> but again, the concept of supporting our body so we know what our body is doing with those hormones. So we really understand because physiology affects our behavior. So please tell our audience where to connect with you. First of all, I, I just really love your work and that you're Thank spreading you. the word. So honestly, because everyone's confused and fearful, and it's good to have these enlightening and calming, converse, reassuring conversations. So my website is drlindsayberkson.com, D-R-L-I-N-D-S-E-Y, Berkson, B-E-R-K-S-O-N.com. And I have a membership, so you can go, it, which is on the first page, drlindsayberkson.com uh, forward slash membership. You can look at it like that. I also write in Substacks every single morning with a lot of focus on hormones and nutrition and the environment. And I have many, many books out. I just am finishing up my 21st and 22nd book. And I just really have that same confusion as to why there's such a bias against hormones and the same fire in my belly to have other women and gentlemen not miss out on keeping their hormones balanced so that they too can be younger, longer. Mm, yes, I guess. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for being here today on the Girlfriend Doctor Show. I appreciate it. We've, we're going to share this in our podcast. And I request that everyone share it with their girlfriend, share it with people that you love and care about and your daughters, etc. You want to make sure that we get this information far and wide, far and wide to share this information. There is misinformation. And I think as, as physicians, we were always taught to first do no harm. And then we were taught to, you know, like, you know, what is your clinical judgment? But then in, in residency somewhere with trust the science over your clinical experience became a buzzword. So what was that saying? It was driving us towards paid pharmacology research to look only as at that as validity. And in fact, don't trust your clinical don't trust what your eyes are seeing, what your ears are hearing, what your patients are saying. I mean, it really was, it has been for decades now, part of this agenda to impair physicians, clinical practice and clinical judgment. And when we look at that and we listen in women, you are specifically designed with a high intuition to trust your intuition. In order to do that, you got to get clear, get clear of distractions, get clear of the brain fog, get keto green. That definitely helps. And where do we balance our hormones and also address the hormone toxins, the disruptors, some we can't do anything about, you know, they've been passed down from genetics, but we can reduce our exposure to new ones and work on detoxing our body from the ones that are uh, we're exposed to on a regular basis. So I encourage you to, you know, hold up your own flag, to trust your intuition, to listen to yourself. And Can I just uh, ask you one this. question. Oh, yeah. So are you so what's really mind boggling is that we have younger and younger girls and boys that have no hormones. And Harvard has just published two randomized trials of actually giving menopausal hormone patches to young girls 13 to 24 because they had anxiety, depression, body dysmorphia, they had bone loss, they were starting to have somewhat of menopausal symptoms, and they're 13 to 24 years old. Harvard just published two randomized trials. So hormones are so changing, they're not even just about 
peri and postmenopause since all of our hormones are under assault. Are you seeing this in, in practice? I definitely have seen early, you know, more cases over the last decade in premature ovarian failure than I had in my entire training and career. So I think it's interesting to look at. I um, am not surprised due to the hormone disruption and like what's in our water, right? Like the birth control. And in our rain. What's in our water, what's in our environment, what's in our food chain. And it's really a challenge. I'm a, I'm a single mom with, you know, four kids at home and, you know, another single mom and her baby living with us too. And making food from scratch, making your home, you know, your organic food and recipes, and you can be exhausted. I mean, I get all the challenges. We can just do what we can on a little bit on a day by day basis to decrease our exposures. And I think that's a really big, important step that we make decrease our exposures, vote with our dollar and work to improve the health of the generations. And I think like if we're doing a patch, if we're the practice is now to treat the symptom and not treat the cause, that again is malpractice. We have to understand young bodies have regenerative capabilities that are amazing. If we give them the nutrients, the peptides, the stem cells, the, you know, the the kickstart that they need, remove the toxins and call out the chemicals that are causing this disruption, I think we will heal generations. In my book, Hormone Deception, the last third is how to reduce exposure in your supermarket cart, your home, and your office. So it's really a great reference book on endocrine disruption, which is threatening all of us. And you certainly want your daughters and sons to be as clean as they can be before conception, to have the healthiest kids that they can have. So, you know, the the concept of green pregnancy. So if you want to figure out step-by-step how to reduce your exposure, a lot of it's in the home and it gives you a really good handle on how to do that. You guys check out Dr. Lindsay Berkson and wherever you're listening to this, your reviews make a difference. I love to read those reviews. So please continue to share them with me and pass on this information. Till next time, thank you for tuning into the Girlfriend Doctor Show. God bless you.